Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you and all of our guests. Thank you for being here today. Always a delight to be in the house of the Lord, and it's enriching when we have friends and loved ones that join with us. Thank you for that uh, privilege of worshiping with all of you today. I'm taking you to the word of the Lord for just a moment. I realize that my time is limited, but I feel like God's going to do something very quickly in this place today that will help capitalize on what has already happened in this house. I want to take you to two passages of Scripture, one in the book of Luke chapter 18, two verses of Scripture. We're going to pick up in the middle of the story. And also, we're going to go to John chapter 5 and do the same thing. For the sake of time, I'm going to extract just a couple of verses from Luke and one from John. And it reads like this. Uh, And Jesus, Luke chapter 18, And Jesus stood and commanded him that he be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And then in John chapter 5 and verse number 6, or verse, I think it's verse 5 and 6, but he said, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been a long, had been now a long time in that case, He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Two stories, very dissimilar in so many ways, and yet they have such a powerful truth. I want to talk to you for a few moments about the key to your change. The key to your change. Amen. Say that with me. The key to my change, your change. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and for your great spirit of worship today. Obviously, these two stories have a common thread. They were both men who dealt with infirmities, blindness, and whatever the other one was, it had been that way for such a long time. But it wasn't their infirmities that was all that they had in common. Both of these men were confronted by a question, a question that when you look at it makes you ask why. Why this question? Why was it worded the way it was worded? They were both asked the same thing in essence. And on the surface, it seems to me so unnecessary. Would you be asking a blind man that's been on the side of the road screaming your name for however long the procession has been going by? Read it. Screaming out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Does it seem like a man that would go to that extreme would be there for no reason? 
certainly it's obvious and it can be inferred that he understood there was an opportunity that was passing his way when he heard that Jesus was passing by. It's when he lifted up his voice. And yet it was to this man who had gone to that extreme measure to garner the attention of the Lord, the Lord would then turn and ask him, Wilt, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? It seems obvious to me. It seems redundant to even ask the question and even borders on the edge of being perhaps offensive to some. And then to a man who for 38 years had been a cripple by the pool of Bethesda, and to that man he asked the question, Wilt thou be made whole? Now it's interesting that when you look at John's writings, the statement that is made before the question is asked, Jesus, the scripture says, saw him lie and knew. That's a powerful word there. It speaks of a foreknowledge, a wisdom, a divine understanding, an insight. And so Jesus When he looked on him, he knew his entire story in a moment of time. He had seen the entirety of this man's 38-year struggle. Now, my question is, if Jesus has the discernment to know how long the man has been there and to know what this man's infirmity was, then certainly you would think that he would know that he wanted some help. Is that just me thinking? I mean, it makes sense to me that because you've been there for 38 years, that in itself ought to testify about something of your desire and something of your purpose and something of your your will. And so he asked this question. Because what you know is so important. You see, for the blind man and for this man with the infirmity by the pool of Bethesda, whatever their length of time in being in that condition, it was evident that the Lord knew their problem. But I want you to listen to me right now. It doesn't matter what God knows about your situation. What matters is what you come to know. Because all of God's knowledge cannot change the negative perceptions of some people. And some people can get so locked into a lifestyle of dysfunction or a lifestyle of problems and troubles that even when they sit next door to opportunity, they never find the ability to respond to it in time. Somebody else always gets in the way. And so 
It's not what Jesus knows about us that will change us. Now, I know that's going to shake some of your theology. But what will change us is what we come to know about ourselves. And so here is the conundrum that he is facing. Here are men that have needs and they have problems and they have evidently been that way for a great length of time in their life. But nothing has changed. Nothing is different. They're still going through the same issue. They're still facing the same problems. But in order for something to happen to these men, there first had to happen something in these men. And so the question, look at me or look with me, if you would, to John's story again. And if you start up at the beginning of it, it is obvious by the statements that John makes in this particular writing that there is an enormous background to this man's story. That there's more to his story than could be written in this book because there's 38 years of it. We have any 38-year-olds, if you're not ashamed to admit that today, we have any 38-year-olds in the building? There's one, there's two. I want you to imagine that for that length of time that you've been on earth, This man had a problem. This man had an issue. Now he tried to put himself in the right place. And he tried to do the right thing. Obviously, I think he was trying to do the right thing. I I don't think he was there to fail. I don't think he was there to frustrate himself even more and just aggravate the issues, but... In my thinking, that if you've been around a pool for 38 years, surely sooner or later you would figure out how it works and get yourself in a position to where you could get that opportunity that's going to come whenever it happens. The angel would come, the water would be troubled, whoever was first in would be healed. Now the problem with it was only one person was going to experience that. And yet over a 38 year period of time, surely somehow this man would have learned something to have gotten him into a better position and a better place. And yet here he is 38 years long in waiting. Now maybe it was superstition or myth or folklore. It, You know, there's a lot of conjectures. But the fact is there were people that believed that something was going to happen when the water was troubled. And obviously there was a history there that some people had been healed along the way when that happened. And all these needy people are near this help for all of these years and yet only one of them was ever going to really find and experience change. Whoever was the quickest to get to the water. Whoever was first in. And here this man is who for such a long time has been in this condition. And at the pool he joined the rank of the other infirmed. And the Bible lists those that were there. Impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting, 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 waiting for the moving of the water. Patiently working 
uh, hopefully that something good was going to happen. And here is a man, in, in my way of looking at things, sat in the shadow of possibility for 38 years. He sat in the shadow of possibility for 38 years. Why? How could that be? I wonder how many are waiting in this building on their opportunity. And it's not that opportunities don't come. They came in this story. Obviously, it's inferred that there were opportunities that came along and people, whoever got in first was healed. So over 38 years, if it was just once a year, we don't know how many times it happened, but if it was just once a year, at least 38 people had been cleared out. And yet in 38 years, there's still a crowd of people around the same pool waiting for the same opportunity. Now, I don't want to be mean or harsh, and I certainly don't want to offend anybody, but I'm wondering what the reason was. The question that troubles my mind is how could you be in such a place for that long and not have experienced a miracle in your life? How could you be in that setting and not have found your answer in 38 years? Sure, there were others there, but wouldn't you think that in that length of time, you would have figured out how this thing works and found a closer point of entry to that opportunity? It seems obvious to me that if you were there for healing, and I believe they all were, that you would know how the process works and you would find a way to get yourself in the right position to get that miracle that you needed. But here's the problem. I believe the reason this man was where he was for so long And I don't know when it happened. But somewhere along the line, this man turned his eyes off of what he really needed to have them on and got his eyes on other things. Because when Jesus asked him the question, his immediate defense was, I have no man. So evidently his life had become dependent on somebody else. If I just had somebody else to help me, if I just had somebody else to encourage me, if I just had somebody else to be there, you know, whenever that time, I just need somebody to be there. And so instead of turning their eyes toward the right thing and keeping it focused on the right thing, it seems to me that this man let his attention be diverted to other things and other things will always let you down. Always. Amen. And then Jesus showed up and everything changed. Aren't you glad when he shows up? Woo! He showed up this morning already. Amen. And you know what that tells me? I'm excited right now. I'm trying to keep myself calm because I'm, I'm excited at what the opportunities are in this place. And the difference between the pool and Jesus is that there can be only one miracle when the pool is stirred. But when Jesus is around, anybody that wants to get in can get in. That anybody who wants to try, everybody, you can all do it at the same time. He's not confused. He's not taxed. 
when we all reach out to him, he's not exhausted. He doesn't, oh, that's all I can do for Sunday. The Bible said that he healed all of them that were brought to them. All of them. He ministered to all of them that come. That's the wonderful opportunity that you and I have in this service is that he's not limited to just touching one person over here and, and maybe one over there and then he's taxed his abilities but it's able to touch here and there and there and here and all over and everybody all at the same time and minister to every need and we walk out of here with what we needed in our life to begin with. Amen. When Jesus showed up, he started asking questions. And that's when it gets really uncomfortable. Because there was a reason for the question. One who had tried again and again by his own account and couldn't get in the water but had failed, the Lord asked him this question that borders on being offensive. Wilt thou be made whole. <clears throat> now, sometimes I think, and this is just Hughes 101. This is not in the Bible that I, it probably is, but it's experience. But I have learned something about the Lord. Sometimes he comes and probes deeply in my life. Not to make me uncomfortable, but to wake me up. And sometimes the questions that come seem so harsh and hard and cruel and offensive. Oh, you, you hurt my feelings, Jesus. I mean, 38 years ought to be a witness that I, I want something. I'm not here just so I can waste my life. And yet the reason for that point blank question was because something had to happen in this man's mind and in his spirit. There had to be an awakening. There had to be an awakening. Now it could be, it could be that the reason Jesus asked the question was that this man deep down inside didn't really want to be healed. As strange as that may sound, I have come to know some people that love being sick. They enjoy being sick. If they weren't sick, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. If life wasn't dysfunctional, they wouldn't have anything to put on Facebook. <laughs> now, I know that's mean. <laughs> I admit that right now. That's a little bit hard, but... You know, the reason that I have come to discover that people get to the place where they enjoy, I guess, being, uh, I don't know if this is the word, but unwhole, <laughs> is because they get a lot more tension. And some people don't really want healing, they want attention. And the Lord starts asking these questions to get all of that stuff out of the way. Let's get down to the real reason we're here. And it seems a little bit offensive, but 
The reason that I know a lot of people haven't gotten over their problem and they seem to enjoy their issues is because they keep talking about it. And here's what happens when you keep talking about it. You keep giving life to it. Because there's power in the word. There's life in the word. There's, there's breath. There's, and so the more you keep talking about it, you keep it alive. And that's the reason that 40 years later, I'm still dealing with some of the same issues that I started with back then. And I've not learned the secret. I've not learned the key. Maybe it was because... And, and I know this seems cruel, but perhaps he asked it because this man had grown accustomed to his infirmity. Maybe he had gotten used to being that way. He, he didn't really like it, but he'd come to learn how to live with it. You know, it's just one of my issues in life. And he had gotten used to his problems. He had gotten comfortable with dealing with all of these issues in his life. And all the discordant notes, he, he just kind of grew accustomed to hearing that, uh, that, that confusion of sounds continually. This uh, orchestra of maniac music, I would call it. Perhaps maybe the man had learned how to exploit his issue to get gain. Maybe he had learned to work it to his advantage and you get people to feel sorry for you and he got a lot of attention that way and perhaps he uh, was, he, he had come to the place where even it had become a profitable business. Maybe he had turned his infirmity into a way to make a living. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering and maybe that sounds cruel, but you know when the Lord asks questions like he asked, that's pretty, it's pretty blatant that, that he's trying to get to the core of an issue. And sometimes in order for God to get to the real heart of my life and to get to the real root and issues, he has to ask some very troubling questions. He has to probe. He has to get rid of some clutter and move some stuff out of the way. And so for this man, it was so. Maybe he felt like he deserved his dysfunction. You know, it's amazing how many people I've, in pastoring, talked with and counseled that were kind of of the opinion that they deserved the dysfunction in their life, that they were, they just deserve it because of their mistakes, because of all the stuff they'd done. They deserve all this chaos. And then there are others who feel like, that all hope has died and they just go through the routine. I'm just here because this is what I've always done. I've just, I've always come to this pool I, for 38 years. It's part of my life. It's part of my history. Perhaps that was here. But I, I don't believe that the Lord asked those questions for those reasons. I just threw that out there to have something to say to you. No, I just put that out there to give you something to think about. I don't believe the Lord asked the question to irritate the Lord, to irritate the man. I, I, I don't think he did it so he could make him feel just uncomfortable. Now, I know that sometimes my preaching probably irritates some people, but I don't mean to irritate you, but I do want to stir you. And sometimes you have to prod somebody to get them to move. You know, we get so stuck in our little way and we get so hung up in these things that we've been wrestling with and so I don't believe that the Lord was doing that to irritate him. I don't believe the Lord asked questions to embarrass him. I, I don't believe he asked him because he didn't know. He did know 
the answer to the question that the man was asked. He asked the question for the man's benefit. He asked the question to open the possibilities. He didn't ask to prove the sincerity of the man's effort or the sincerity of the man's heart. He asked the question to help recenter this man's thoughts and mind and efforts in the right direction. And he asked the questions to awaken something in him. What was that? that Jesus was trying to awaken in this man? What was it that he was trying to stir up in this man's life that seemed at the point of agitating him in order to do that? What was it that he was after that if he could get this man to wake up to it, it would change everything in his life? Because going back to what I said earlier, it's not about what the Lord knows about you. It's about what you come to know that the Lord Lord wants you to know about yourself that's going to actually change your life. And this, I believe, is why he asked the question. To awaken the spirit of expectation. Because expectation had died in this man's life. There was no anticipation in the sense of its truest meaning. There was just effort and there was a sense of obligation perhaps to go back again today and to be there at this time. But he had become dull and dead and his expectation had declined. And so the Lord is asking this question to incite his desire and stimulate his will and to actually try to bring a new faith into being in his life that had died because there was no expectation in his life. There was no looking forward with confidence that God was going to do something. See, here's what you have to understand about the difference between what we think of as hope and what expectation means. Because In our terminology, hope is like a wish. It's a hopeful uh, thought that's not always based on surrounding evidence. It's just, we just hope that things get better. We hope that things change. But expectation is much different than that. Expectation is not just wishing for something, but it is It is planting your feet on something because of what you know has previously happened. That God, I know he has done this before. I know that he did it last year. I know that he did it for somebody else. And so now I know and I expect him to do it for me this morning. I expect him to move in my life because I know he touched her. And I know he touched him. And I know he helped them. And I know he changed their life. And when I come to him with that spirit of expectancy, it opens the door of opportunity to my life that nothing else can open in my life. Praise God. Amen. Expectation. He wanted to put an end to this man's disappointment. He wanted to put an end to this man's Frustration. He wanted to put an end 
to this man's failure. He wanted to do the same thing for him that he's wanting to do in this congregation today. And it ends when you and I allow his spirit to awaken a spirit of expectation in our hearts so that we are on tiptoes looking, knowing that he's coming. Why? Because he's come before. Knowing that he's going to heal because he's healed before. Knowing he's going to help because he helped somebody before. Knowing that he's going to minister because he's ministered to people before. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise right now. Hallelujah. You see, expectation is the key to what we need and what we desire. Amen. When we can see from God's previous work the possibility, we have a foundation upon which to stand. I am not declaring healing today because I'm just wishing for it to come to pass. I don't have a foundation for it. I don't have any really grounds for it. I'm just thinking that that would be a great thing for God to do. The reason that I believe for healing today is because there are people in this building that have been healed before. There are people in this building that have been raised up and God's done miraculous things in your life. And the reason I am believing God today for marvelous things is because I've been in too many services where God's done those things and I have a foundation to stand on and I have a hope to hold on to that is beyond anything this world can comprehend. You see, the truth of the matter is that in the New Testament, when you read the word hope, if you travel back to its root, it comes from the word expectation. It's not just a wish in the dark. It's not just a a, a throwing up of the dirt and see which way it goes. But it is a confidence that God has done some things. And because God has done those things, I now have a foundation upon which to stand to expect that God is going to do it again. If there's a drug addict in the house, I've come to tell you that there are some other former drug addicts in the house. But God came into their life and God changed their heart and God delivered them from their disease and from their sickness. And they worship today. And because they worship, I know that you too can worship Him in freedom. Hallelujah. Some of us here today need the spirit of expectancy to be awakened in us. We've gotten too comfortable in our little world of dysfunction. You know, after a while, it becomes a routine. You get up in the morning, you do that, you do this, you do that, you do this, and then another day's passed. And you can do that a long, long time. And then there's a lot of people that hide. They just keep... They're good at maneuvering themselves around. Or there are others that, you know, they're always looking for somebody. They're never looking for him. They're looking for somebody to help them, but they're not looking for him to help them because he'll help them and he'll break the habit and they won't have any excuses anymore. 
Some of us here today need the spirit of expectancy to be awakened. Amen. Some of us have gotten too used to some stuff that we don't need to be used to. Because God's proven that he can help people that struggle with those things in their life. That he has proven in time past. He has a record. It's, on, it's based on evidence. Expectation is not based on wishful thinking. It's based on evidence. God did this before. And so you have his word and you have his spirit and you have his promises and all of those become the foundation upon which you can stand. And here's what had happened to the man at the pool. He had moved his expectations from God to man and now he's dependent on what a man can do for him and how a man can help him. And I've got news for you. I can't help you. Even laying my hands on you, I can't help you. But I know a God who honors the laying on of hands. And I know a God that when I do pray in faith, that he works and moves. And so that's why I lay hands on people and pray for them. That's why I believe God can deliver you from any problem. Why? Because I've seen it happen before. And I've been privileged to experience it in my own life. Come on, praise him right now. I'm coming to a close. Hallelujah. You see, the key to the change in your life that you need is not what God knows about you. It's what God's trying to get you to understand about yourself. That you're his child. Amen. He loves you. He wants you to succeed. He doesn't want you stuck by the side of the road dealing with your issue year in, year out, day by day, week by week, month by month. My goodness, it's got to be monotonous. He said, hey, let's break the cycle. Let's break the cycle. Get your eyes back on the right thing. Get your eyes off of people. Quit blaming people for your problems. Quit blaming people for the reason you're not living for God or you're not close to God. People are not your problem. It's your thinking that's your problem because God has already proven he can save to the uttermost. Do you know that that word has never been plumbed? The depth of that word has never been found? That they've gone to the farthest parts of the universe and they've explored beyond even that with telescopes and yet nobody has ever reached the uttermost. And yet the Bible says over and over that he's going to do the uttermost to us. He's going to give us the uttermost. He's going to bless us beyond measure. He's going to bless us more than we can imagine. So why would I sit with my problems and sit with my issues when everything is available to me, when everything I need to break the habit and break the yoke in my life is within my reach right now. All I need to do is have something, that expectation. He's here right now. He's the healer. He's here right now. He's the deliverer. He's here right now. He's the helper of those who are in need. Come on, stand to your feet and clap your hands and praise him. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yes. Woo. Hallelujah. Yeah, here's what's so powerful about the awakening of knowledge in your life. 
is that when you are awakened to that knowledge, you have the ability to act on it. And when you act on it, something's going to happen. Jesus said to the man, take up thy bed and walk. He speaks the possibility. And the man embraced the possibility. And when he embraced that and when it got in him, you see, that's where we're struggling right now. We think it's all about God and God just doesn't want to do it right now. No, ma'am. No, sir. Doesn't have anything to do with God not wanting to do it today. Again, it's not what God knows that's going to change you. It's what you come to know and understand that's going to change you. And when Jesus spoke, take up your bed and walk, what had carried him for 38 years, he, he, he acted on that. He got up. Woo, man, look what I can do. Look what happens when the spirit of expectancy comes into your heart. Brother Jack Cunningham says that there's seven levels of faith, and I believe that. Some say there's more than that, but there's at least seven levels of faith. And then there is a level beyond faith, and that level beyond faith is expectancy. Yeah. And that's where we are right now. It's not just what I believe. It's the fact that what I believe empowers me to act. And when I begin to act, change begins to happen in my life. When I begin to act, things begin to turn around in my home. When I begin to act and quit blaming stuff and things. When I begin to act on what I've heard and act on what I know and act on the word of God and step out on that word and I stand on that word, something is going to happen in my life that's going to bring the breakthrough and the deliverance that I need. So the secret, the key to your change this morning is not outside, it's inside. It's inside, it's internal. And it has to do with your expectation. What are you expecting to happen? Amen. And you know what? The thing about expectation is that it can work against you just like it can work for you. Some people just expect that it's not going to work out. Nothing's going to change. And guess what? It doesn't work out. Nothing changes. When your expectation is based on the right thing, not man, that's where his had been. His expectations were for those things around him. There was no support. There was no encouragement. There, there was no help. When he turned his eyes from that and he got his eyes on the only one that can really change his situation, change happened. Amen. I'm going to ask some of you today, 
please, for your sake, for your own good, for your benefit, for the blessings of your future, would you get your eyes off of people and get your eyes off of what people have done or haven't done or how they, they, they let you down or they did? Would you do that? Because as long as your expectation is on the visible, you're going to be let down by that. But when you can lift your eyes to the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think, the one who can speak a word and worlds come into existence, the word could be spoken and rivers would flow. The word could be spoken and fish would fill the river. The word could be spoken and trees appear. The one who can speak such powerful words can speak such powerful words into your own life and say, rise up, get up, get your bed and walk. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. Praise God. I'm, I'm not trying to be cute today. But some of you, it's time for you to take up your bed and walk. How do I know I can do that? Because I've done it. Because this man's done it. Because this man's done it. Because this woman's done it. Because others in this building have done it. We've all been down at some time in our life. We've all been laying by the side of the road at some point. But somewhere, some of, somebody came along in my life and said, Hey, get up. You weren't made for there. You were not designed to be in that place. Get up on your feet. Come on. Get up. Take up your bed. Quit laying there. Get up. Come on, get up. Somebody needs to get up right now. Somebody needs to make up in your mind. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. The word says I can get up. Yes. Come on, respond to it right now. I'm not going to beg you, but there's the Spirit of God moving in this place right now. And if you need a deliverance or a miracle, God can 